The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading for today is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we dive back into the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe it would be more appropriate to say as we fall uh, back into the Sermon on the Mount, because I say that, fall back into it, because our text this morning, it's, it's kind of like, it feels to me like a mother bird, like coaxing her chicks out of the nest. Do you ever watch this happen? Like, it's a myth. Most people think that mother birds, like, push their babies out of the nest. That's a myth. They, they coax them through a number of different methods. You can go look it up on YouTube, watch videos of this. But they do all sorts of different things to try and convince their chicks to try to fly. And if you watch these videos, often young birds look terrified, and for obvious reasons. Like, the distance from a branch to the ground has got to feel like, to us, like, like, like us staring off of, like, a, a skyscraper. Like you're looking at your parent, like, seriously, you, you want me to do what? But their parents will demonstrate, because they know their fear. They fear like they're going to fall. So their parents will demonstrate over and over again how to fly. As if to say to their young, you're a bird. That's what you are. That's, see, you got wings like me. That's why you have wings so that you can fly like me and demonstrate you're a part of this family. You are a bird. The last time that we were in the Sermon on the Mount, I think that perhaps we were left feeling a bit like that baby bird on the edge of the, of the nest. Maybe we were left feeling that way because so, so far all we've covered through the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. And through the Beatitudes, what we've seen is we've seen Christ inviting us into a life of true joy, which is a life of wholehearted devotion to him no matter the cost. That's what the entire list of the Beatitudes is all about. It's about finding a life of true joy in Christ no matter what it costs. And through the Beatitudes, Christ was inviting us, just like he was inviting us out of the comfortable nest of the world to, to fly and follow him. But if we're honest, that's a little bit terrifying. And for obvious reasons, following Jesus looks less, to, when you just read the Beatitudes, following Jesus looks less to us like flying and looks a whole lot more like falling. Reread the Beatitudes. What has he told us that following him can lead to? It can lead to poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you not remember that that's an Old Testament phrase? We discovered the background of that is when God's people would be oppressed economically if they clung to their faith and they would literally end up poor because of their devotion to 
to the Lord. He's told us in the Beatitudes, following him, it could cost you, it could cost you economically. It could lead you into suffering and mourning situations. That's not what the second Beatitude says. Blessed are those who mourn. It could lead you to hunger and thirst. Remember how the entire list of the Beatitudes is summed up and concluded with literal persecution, rejection, revulsion. I mean, how can that not leave you paralyzed by fear? So, like a mother bird, in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, our passage today, right on the heels of the Beatitudes, right on the heels of telling us we will indeed face persecution, like a mother bird, Jesus aims to remind us of what we are, why we are, so that we will reveal who he is when we fly when we enter by faith into that life of true joy, a life of wholehearted devotion to him. Shades, this morning, let's fall back into the Sermon on the Mount so that we may learn to fly, to live by faith, to live by the power that Jesus provides. He provides it through his word. That's what he's doing this morning. He's providing power by reminding us of what, why, and who. So let's take those one at a time. First, what? What? Number one, Jesus reminds us of what we are. Matthew 5 and verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. It's pretty simple right there. What are you? You're the salt. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under by people's feet. So you got to remember right here that Jesus is specifically teaching his disciples. Yes, he's near the Sea of Galilee, likely on a hillside, surrounded by crowds of people. But even if you read at the beginning of chapter 5, he specifically calls his disciples to them. And since verse 11, he has been specifically directing what he's saying straight to them, to those who are committed to follow him. And so, as he speaks to them, he reminds them, or he reminds us, of what we are salt you are the salt of the earth that's what you are shades great what does that mean people have suggested all sorts of different things based on the various properties of salt or on ancient uses of salt you know salt's a preservative salt was used as monetary exchange salt could be used as a fertilizer blah de blah 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 the list goes on and on and on. They come up with all sorts of creative things and even use them sometimes to illustrate things that may indeed be true, but none of that matters. What matters is what does Jesus mean? What is he emphasizing? Fortunately, that's actually easy for us to see because this is not the only place in Scripture that Jesus uses this metaphor. He uses it actually three different times. He uses it in Mark chapter 9 to talk about his disciples delighting in him more than in sin. He says, that's salt. That's you being salt. When you find your joy and your delight in me, so much so that it empowers you to say no to sin, to walk away from temptation, that's you being salt. He uses it again in Luke chapter 14 to talk about his disciples delighting in him more than anyone else or anything else, more than people, more than possessions. He says, that's you being salt. 
when people in your family reject you because of your commitment to me and you still cling to me rather than people who are precious to you no matter how much it hurts that's you being salt. When it costs you possessions and economically, when it costs you a job and you still cling, that's you being salt. Right here in Matthew 5, if we put Jesus' words about being salt in context, remember we're coming right off the hills of the Beatitudes, right? Where Jesus has talked about being wholeheartedly devoted to him no matter the cost. He even concludes with if that costs you physically, if it costs you your safety. If you delight in me, have joy in me, more than even your own safety and well-being, that's you being salt. Just, just look back one verse. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. You are the salt of the earth. When you do this, when you delight in Christ more than sin, more than safety, more than, than having people or, or possessions, in other words, all the things that the world delights in, when you delight in Him more than any of that, then you are salt. You don't blend in with the blandness of the world. No, there is a different flavor to your life. Everybody in this world delights in the things that they think add to their life. And they immediately drop anything they think takes away. What do you do when it looks like Jesus costs you everything? Jesus says when you cling to me amidst it looking like a cost and you show that you delight in me and you value me more than that's you being salt, different. You don't blend in with the blandness of the world. There's a different flavor to your life. It is the flavor of Christ. The emphasis on salt here is an emphasis on flavor. I know that because Jesus immediately tells us that. The very next thing he emphasizes is salt's taste. Look again at verse 13. If salt has lost its taste, there's a different flavor to your life. That's what it means to be salt. And if there's not a different flavor, then what's the point? That's where Jesus goes. Verse 13, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? There's some wordplay going on here in Greek that we can't quite see in English. Even if I do a more literal translation, you still can't quite see the wordplay that's going on here. Uh, the, the phrase, if salt has lost its taste, it could literally be translated if salt becomes foolish. The, the word there for taste, it's morino. It's where we get our word moron, fool, foolish. And in this context, it can mean foolish or it can mean tasteless. And it's meant to mean both. It's a play on words right here. And this should make sense to us because have we not been talking about, I think the last time we were in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked specifically about how the sermon presents itself to us as wisdom literature. Do you remember this? The sermon is calling us away from living foolishly, a foolish life that leads to destruction. It's calling us to the wise way, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface, this is the wise way that leads to true life and to true joy. 
And we saw specifically the Beatitudes. They showed us again and again that the truly wise life of joy is different than what the world thinks it is. It is a life of wholehearted devotion to Christ no matter the cost. This is different from the world. It's distinct. It's salt. But if Jesus' disciples, the salt of the earth, if they become foolish, in other words, they leave the wise life of wholehearted devotion to Christ. Instead, embrace what the world says is a wise life of true joy. That's like salt losing its taste. Do you see the play on words here? That's salt becoming tasteless. That's salt becoming foolish. It becomes bland. and blends in. So, in other words, when, when Jesus' disciples cling to sin instead of to, to him, like, I'm going to live life how I want. No one can confront me on anything. I'm my own ultimate authority. That's bland. That blends in. That's the way the entire world lives. When Jesus' disciples cling to comfort, to possessions, to safety, security, instead of to him. You know, I, I just want the good job, the good house, the good family, and there's nothing wrong with wanting any of those things, but when I prioritize those things to the point that I don't believe that following Christ could ever even possibly call me, cost me my comfort, Jesus wouldn't call me to that. Jesus places his rubber stamp on my American dream. That's bland and that blends in. Or when Jesus' disciples cling to the same means of power, use the same tactics as the world for the advancement of their cause. In other words, when disciples think, I need political power, no matter what it takes to get it. That's how I'm really going to advance the cause of Christ. When disciples think I can use the same outrage and the same anger as everybody else to dominate my opponents, I can use the same means that the world uses to conquer. I can use those means to conquer for Christ. That's bland. That blends in. It's, it's, it's like salt that has lost its taste. Why, why, why would you even keep salt like that in the house? It's like it's forgotten what it is. Salt. Jesus says, don't even keep that stuff in your house anymore. Look at it. Verse 13. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Do you see the irony of Jesus' words right here? Have we not just been talking about how Jesus' disciples are at their saltiest? Don't, don't read the modern meaning of being salty into that, okay? You've got to stay with me here. Jesus' disciples are at their most distinct, unique, shining brightly for him. They are at their saltiest precisely when they are persecuted, trampled by people, but still joyously cling to him. But when they leave the wise life of wholehearted devotion to Christ, when they embrace the foolish life of the world, they become tasteless. See what's happening right here. In an effort to escape being trampled by persecution, Jesus says they are trampled by purposelessness. Do you see that? They lose their purpose. Like salt losing its 
taste or like a baby bird that won't fly. It's, it's like we forget what we are. So afraid that we'll fall. We've forgotten that taking the leap is how we actually fly. So afraid of being reviled and rejected that we become bland and we blend in. We've forgotten that being reviled and rejected is part of how our distinctiveness is actually shown. Shades, don't forget what you are. Jesus reminds you, you are the salt of the earth. Different, distinct, unique precisely because you cling to Christ even when it costs you everything. That's not falling. That's flying. That's not bland. It doesn't blend in. That's salt. That's what you are. Second, Jesus provides us with the power to fly. So call back our opening illustration there. Provides with the power to fly. In other words, to live the wise life of true joy, life of wholehearted devotion to him. I use all these different phrases to describe it because I'm hoping that one of them will be something that clicks and latches on. Jesus provides us with the power to fly, to live a wise life of true joy, not only by reminding us of what we are, but second, why we are. That's number two. Jesus reminds us what we are and why we are. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus gives us multiple images right here that all have to do with light in some way or another. And he gives us these multiple images in order to hammer home one point, why we are salt. In other words, why we are different, distinct, unique. There's a point, there's a purpose to us. It's not merely for our own joy. That's a part of it, yes. He calls us into the true life, the wise life of true joy for the sake of our own joy. But it's not just for our joy right here. We learn it's also for the joy of the world. We've been called into the wise life of true joy so that we may show the world the wise life of true joy. We are salt so that we may be light. Do you see that? Light by its very nature cannot be hidden. It can't, it can't, it can't help but shine. That's, that's the point of Jesus' first image right here, that light can't help but shine, it cannot help but be seen. His first image is what? It's of a hilltop city, lit up at night. Perhaps as Jesus is teaching right here, dusk is beginning to fall on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There would be plenty of examples for him to readily point to. Cities on hilltops, including his own hometown, Nazareth, on a hilltop. Plenty of examples to point to these cities lit up that cannot it's impossible for them to be hidden that's the point of jesus's illustration right here you can't hide the thing light by its nature shines and light by its nature gives sight it helps people see that's the point of jesus's second image of a lamp being put on a stand in a house. It helps people see. Light, by its very nature, gives sight. It shines, and it gives sight. In other words, it's seen, and it enables seeing. 
That's why it is. That's his purpose. It would make no sense to try and hide it. The entire purpose of light is it's seen and enables seeing. That's why it, why it is. Why, why would you light a lamp, Jesus says, and put it under a basket? Or if you're like me and you used to sing, hide it under a bushel. That's the good King Jimmy version right there. Why would you light a lamp? Hide it under a basket. That makes about as much sense as tasteless salt. Shades, we have been made salt precisely so that we might be light. In other words, we've been made distinct, different, precisely so that we might be seen by the world and enable them to see what true joy and wholehearted devotion to Christ looks like. That's why we are. Is that not precisely what Jesus says in verse 16? Look at it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before others. Be seen. Be seen. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. So that they may see. Be seen. So that they may see. This is why light is. This is why we are. And notice, notice all throughout this that I am placing an emphasis on we. This is why we are. Salt, I've said, that's what we are. Light, I've said, that's what we are. I'm putting the emphasis there because Jesus is putting the emphasis there. We, Jesus' disciples, collectively, the, the Jesus community, his church. That is who Jesus calls salt and light. All throughout these verses, again, we can't see it very well in English, but all throughout these verses, the you is plural. Translated in some good southern English, and you can see it. Jesus literally says, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Like together, collectively, we don't tend to think that way. Even when we come to Scripture and we read Scripture, we tend to think very individualistically. We read every you as a personal you just to me. Even as a kid, I just told you a second ago, from this passage, I was taught to sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is not about me personally being seen. In fact, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus have some very strong warnings about precisely the pursuit of that. Just look down really quickly. Look down at chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. How, how do you square that with chapter 5 and verse 16? Let your light shine before others so that they may see. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I'm like, well, which is it, Jesus? Am I to not be seen or to be seen? It's both. It's both. 
Because Jesus is not addressing the same thing. In chapter 6, Jesus is warning against an individualistic pursuit of being seen as holy for my own glory. While in chapter 5, Jesus is commanding the church community to be seen for God's glory. He's commanding the church community to be what it was created to be. Salt and light. Shades, I, by myself, am not the salt of the earth. Nor am I the light of the world. Only one individual has ever been able to say that about himself. And he commissioned a church to serve as his representatives. I, by myself, am not the salt of the earth or the light of the world. We, the church community, we are. That's what we are. This is why we are. In fact, I'll push it a little bit further. I'm willing to say we can only be salt and light as a we. Only be salt and light as a we. I'll pause, give a caveat right here. I'm not saying that we cannot bear witness to Christ personally. Yes, we have an individual witness. Yes, we as individuals should be giving off the flavor of salt, should be shining forth a light. But that witness, that personal witness is not an individual witness. I may give it personally, but I don't give it individually. That personal witness only rings true insofar as we belong to the community of Christ. In other words, you only salt insofar as you are part of the salt shaker. You only light insofar as you are shining forth from the lamp. The lamp, that, that is a common image throughout Scripture of the church. And the prophets is a common image that we saw. We saw this in Revelation. Did we not? Revelation 2 in chapter 3. The church, Revelation 11, church is constantly pictured as a lamp shining forth. And that's because Christ is the ultimate light of the world who has commissioned the church to be his light. The glory of Christ is beheld in his church. Ephesians chapter 3 says so. It's beheld in his church insofar as we declare gospel truth and demonstrate gospel love insofar as we display it with our lips and with our our life Chad, yes we have an individual personal witness but that witness only rings true in this world insofar as we belong to the community of christ in other words how how are you going to be salt different distinct how are you going to be different, distinct from the world, showing wholehearted devotion to Christ without showing devotion to his people? How are you going to do that? The church is the bride of Christ. How can you say you love the groom and hate his bride? I'll tell you, that doesn't work in my family. You can try to buddy up to me all day long, and if you hate my wife, good luck. How, how are you going to be light? Like, shining forth the glory of God the Father, which implies he has a family. How, 
How are you going to show forth the glory of God the Father while you want nothing to do with the family? Jesus says, y'all, collectively. Together. And I, let me give one other caveat, not in my notes at all, and I've used this before, but I'll use it again. Because at this point, sometimes people want to point out, well, Jonathan, I'm not a part of a local church, but I am a part of the church universal. That would make no sense to any New Testament Christian. No sense. To be a Christian is to be a part of a local church. It's being a part of the smaller that makes you a part of the larger. Not the other way around. Saying, I'm a part of the church universal, just not the church local, that's like saying, I'm in the NBA, but I'm not on a team. Like, it's being on the team that makes you a part of the NBA. Jesus says, y'all, collectively, together as the church, Y'all are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Y'all are like a city, a community on a hill, an alternative society bearing witness to the world. Not like a bunch of monks who retreat from the world, but who go into the world and shine collectively into the world. You cannot be hidden. You're seen helping the world to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Not our own glory, His glory. That's... That's the final thing Jesus says in verse 16, and it's the third and final thing that we need to see. We need to see who this is all about. This is number three. Jesus reminds us what we are and why we are so that we will reveal who he is. It's all of this we're looking at this morning put together. Jesus reminds us of what we are, salt, why we are, light, so that fly. Enter into this life of faith, the wise life of true joy in Christ and reveal who he is. He really is who he says he is. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Be the community I've called you to be. In other words, when we're a community that's poor in spirit, who cling to Christ no matter the cost, even when it makes us mourn and we respond still in, in meekness, when we are a community that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, when we're a community that's merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, even amidst persecution, we are still pursuing to make peace. In other words, when we are what we are, salt, then Jesus says we accomplish why we are. Light. Our good works give sight to others so that they see the glory of God. They see through our lives that only God could empower such a life. They, they see it is the truly wise life of true joy and they give glory to God. Specifically, we're told they give glory to God, our Father in heaven, because there's a family resemblance that's been revealed. They give glory to our Father in heaven. It, it, it's like when a baby bird flies and proves its parentage. What, what we are and why we are reveals who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to come to the Father except through this Christ. And people will see it and taste it, shades. When we live as a community wholeheartedly devoted to Christ, not perfectly, but truly, repentantly, the difference between 
the church and the world is not that the world are a bunch of sinners and the church is not. The difference is that the church is to be repentant sinners. I'm not calling us to live a life of perfection. I'm calling us to truly live a life that is wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. That's what He is calling us to. And when we do, people taste it. They taste the difference because we're salt. Shades, are we being salt? Like in the midst of our current cultural moment, are we being salt? Are we being a community that's merciful with one another? No matter how much we disagree with each other on any given issue, are we meek with one another? Gentle is what that means. Are we gentle with one another? Always pursuing the making of peace. Or in the midst of this moment, are we like the rest of the world? Bitter, unforgiving toward anyone who has a different view than mine, who disagrees with me. That's bland shades. It blends in and it's foolishness. And if we embrace it, we are like salt that loses its taste. Shades, that's not what we are. We are salt. And we are light. That's why we are. That's why we exist. Philippians 2.19, Paul says that we exist, we live to serve as lights that shine in the midst of the darkness of our world, in the midst of the darkness of our own generation in which we find ourselves. Shades, are we being light? Like in the midst of the ever-growing darkness of our, our world, the, the, the growing darkness should just make our contrasting light shine all the brighter, throwing a spotlight on the glory of Christ. What are we and why we are, what we are and why we are should throw a spotlight on the glory of Christ. It should reveal who he is. Shades, the question for us to ask this morning of ourselves as a community is, are we being salt and light we can know like we can know if we're being salt and light because when we are being salt and light people will taste and see that the lord is good taste the salt see the light they will give glory is what we're told that's the way it's phrased right here in verse 16 they will give glory to our father who is in heaven because they will come to see him through the jesus we love and follow wholeheartedly Shades, perched like a baby bird on the edge of that nest, being called away from the comfort of the world into a life of following Christ. Yes, there will be fear, because yes, we are promised that in following Jesus, there will be rejection and persecution. But even that, we are shown right here, only serves to make our light shine all the brighter and bring the contrast of the flavor of our life out all the more so that people ultimately taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, rejection and reviling is not the only thing we will experience. There will also be acceptance from those who taste and see the glory of Jesus. And for that reason, we need not fear the life of faith that he calls us to through the Sermon on the Mount. Shades, we need not fear the life that Christ has called us to, no matter what it costs. Let us leap into it, knowing that we won't fall fly by the power that he provides power for us to be salt 
and white.